chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 7 through 11. And this is what it says. Uh, now he told a parable to those who were invited. Uh, when he noticed how, how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, uh, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, uh, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Uh, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And now Pastor Susung will come and tell us more about true freedom. All right, we're finally at the main course of today's worship. Um, we're in part three of a sermon series on what is freedom, what's true freedom. And the first week we talked about how we seek after a verdict. We seek a justification for our worth. And we seek this every day. And last week we we had one specific realm, an application of this, of how we have a certain enslavement to these issues with the way we spend and the way we also save in, with money. Today we're going to talk about an issue of status. And I'd like to talk about that in three main points today. Number one, the problem of status and how we have an enslavement to, this, to the point of status. Two, I'll talk about what does freedom look like? When it comes to status, what does freedom and balance look like? And three, how do, I, how do we have it? How do we gain it? How do we get there? Now, now to start this message, I'd like to give you a quote. Quotes out of a book that I, I'd highly recommend to you. It's called Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller. And um, it's in a chapter that he called, that starts called the, the Seduction of Success. Now, he's quoting someone very famous whom some of you Hopefully, all of you know, and that person is Madonna. Right? You guys know who Madonna is? Um, some young kids today may not know who Madonna is, uh, but certainly when I was young, Madonna was one of the biggest pop music stars in the world. And amazingly, she stayed on top of, of that world for many years. She'd change her image and her look. She'd change her sound. She would even change her dance moves. And she stayed, I mean, she, she was truly a star among stars. Today, I would say, who's probably, when I think of the, the pop music scene today, the person that seems closest to Madonna is probably, I think it's Lady Gaga. Right? If you look at Gaga, I mean, she is weird and freaky like Madonna was, and she was, she's offensive, she's controversial, she's pretty, she is incredibly talented, right? Um, and she is just, uh, I mean, she, she's, she's a spectacle, I mean, but... Her unbelievable boldness and creativity, it reminds me of Madonna. Um, but in an interview that she gave for a magazine, this is what she said. Listen up. I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. So here she is. She's a star. But inside her, she has a horrible 
feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of this feeling and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again. My life, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. Because, and that's always pushing me. It's pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. You guys relate to what she's talking about? Can you guys relate to some of you guys? Oh, I'm that. I don't, I'm like, hmm. But there's this issue. There, she needs to do something to prove to herself that she's a somebody. But after a while, she slinks back to feeling mediocre and a nobody. And that she, she has to get into this space, a, a station that makes her feel like she's a somebody. Now, you know, when I was uh, young and, and first read this passage and heard this passage about Jesus, you know, the, getting the wedding feast, it's an interesting passage. He tells a little story. When you go to a wedding party, don't go try to sit at the place where it's really important. What you should do is to sit at the really humble place because otherwise someone, the, the, the master of the wedding party, may kick you out of that, that seat and that will be really embarrassing. And I remember reading that going, Man, that is really good advice. <laughs> in any realm that you get into, you shouldn't be so prideful that you're always trying to get into the top seats. You should definitely stay in the lower seats and make sure that the big boy, whoever he is, promotes you to the better place. That's just really good life advice, right? I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. He is talking about what Madonna is talking about. You don't think so? That's what, that is what I think he's doing. Now think about this. Even today, like apparently back then, it's not, it was the same. I know some customs changed, but apparently this custom in first century Jewish culture as well as today, we still do it the same way. Do you guys realize if you go, when you, when you go to a wedding, I mean, almost every wedding I've ever been to, it's like you go to the wedding and you go to the reception, right? And then when you go to the reception, you have to figure out where you're going to sit. Where do you know where you're going to sit? It's assigned. <laughs> you go to a certain table and your name, you know, nowadays the custom is to stick your name there or you go pick up your little thing and it tells you exactly which table you're sitting at and then what happens? You look around the room to find where that table is and you know what you, 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 know what you discover? You figure out how close and how important you are to the people who are getting married by where you have been told to sit, right? And we know this. You just kind of look around like, okay, there's the head table, where the, the pretty bride and the handsome groom are up there. And, and then there's all the tables that are close. And you can see where the mom, dad, the best man, all these people sit. And then, and then you know, there's like the, the some, then the a little bit more important people and the less important. And then, you know, the, like if you're way out there at the end, you're like, well, you know, I barely got invited to this thing. <laughs> and that's what it's like, right? And in a sense, I think what Jesus is pointing out here is, you know, you realize that all of life is like this. It's like the moment you walk into the reception, and then you're trying like, hey, who's more important here, and where do I get to sit? You realize that all of life is like that? You know, you watch a movie, and in the movie, you watch the movie, and you know who the star of the movie is, and you know who the supporting actors are, and then... 
And then there's all these other people that are kind of forgettable. Sometimes they have bit parts, cameos. And then there are all the people that aren't, aren't you don't even call them actors. What do we call them? We call them extras. <laughs> so they don't even get, a, they don't even get, a, you know, the name. And then at the end of the movie, they tell you all the people that matter, all, all the, the, the cast goes up. And do they list the names of the extras? Right? John Smith, who walked in the background of the coffee shop when George Clooney came out and started, you know, putting the moves on, on the, on the hot babe of the movie. They don't tell you that. That person's a nobody. And in life, we feel this. We feel this thing. Who are the somebodies? Who are the, the, the people who aren't quite the stars, but they're, they're supporting? And then, and then there's the extras. And this is what Madonna's talking about. She's like, I feel like I'm an extra, but I gotta be one of the somebodies. Now, when I asked you, do you, can you relate to Madonna? Some of you probably felt like you could, and some of you like horrible feeling of inadequacy. Like, I don't usually feel that way. Really? Really? You don't ever feel this way. You don't ever think that this is an issue. Let me present something to you. Everybody does. Uh, a few weeks ago, I read an article out of Time magazine. Um, you know, I don't really read it, read it that often, but there was an article on the cover that caught my eye, and what it said was this. How we all have favorites among our children. <laughs> That's what it was talking about. And what it was saying, what it said was that the psychologists have studied this, and they've said that every, every family has, you know, you have multiple kids, they have favorites. Right? And here's the part that's really interesting. Everybody knows who the favorite is. And in your family, is that, was, was that the case? Probably is the case. I mean, if you're the only one, I mean, like, it's, you're the only child, and... You know, here you go, you're, 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 the, you're the favorite because there's no competition, right? But uh, there's, everybody knows, and it's really interesting how it says that you're, everybody's supposed to know, but you're not supposed to say out loud what that is. <laughs> and if you do, your family will become even more dysfunctional, okay? But you know what every kid does at the beginning? The world of your family is like the wedding feast like Jesus is saying. Except who is the master of the wedding feast? It's mom and dad. And who are the guests? It's the kids, and what do the kids do? The kids are jockeying for who gets the better seat. And they deeply care that they get a seat at the table that matters, that is of worth. And they care that they're not the extras, that they're nobodies. They care. And so what they do is they do various different things and they're looking for praise and they're looking for affirmation and for their parents to say, oh, you belong in this special spot, Johnny. Right? Oh, Mary, you're more special than Johnny because you're like this. And what you do is they trying the, 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 the psychologist said the children are like, are constantly, you know, of course, you're not consciously thinking of this, but this is what we do. Because right? we're looking for this seat. You're longing for this seat. And you're looking for the master of the house, the master of the feast. And this mom and dad to give you this place. And we're constantly looking for this ways to get this affirmation and this status. Ah, it's like that's a real, a real dark and nasty picture of family life, Pastor. Well, isn't it true? I think it's true, and I'm not trying to say it's especially bad, but it's kind of the way it is, isn't it? So this is—we're talking about something that seems kind of sad, but it's normal. It's normal. Right? Now, after you come out of the wedding feast of the family, there's a point at which you go to school. And you know what? That school 
It's the same thing. It's just like another, it's like yet another wedding reception, except now who is the master of the reception? It's the teacher. And who are the guests? It's all the students. And then you go to school, and the teacher gets to tell you, of course the teacher doesn't say you, you know, this is, I mean, there's, unless the teacher is really kind of like nasty and says like, puts the worst kid in the back, and, and then the, and the best, but that's not usually the way the kid does it. It's not literally a seat, right? What is it? It's the, every way that the teacher praises. It's the other way the teacher has a certain kind of view, but it actually comes out literally on a piece of paper. The seat, the status honor comes out in a little piece of paper because at the end of quarter, you get this thing called a report card. And the report card is quite comprehensive. I mean, I know, I read my children's report card. It says things like math, you know. In California, we try to do away with this thing, but we don't call it A, B, C, D, and F anymore. We have excellent, satisfactory, and like you, unsatisfactory. But I mean, like, it's, it's silly to me. Whether you get, if you call it E, S, and U, or A, B, C, D, and F, everybody still knows exactly what we're talking about here, right? It is, it's a status point. It's a grade, which offers you a status point. And it says other things, too. It says things like, gets along well with their classmates, right? Has good behavior, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't just talk about functional, pragmatic things. It's actually telling you what the type of human being, that report card, it says a lot. And then the one who wants, who happens, there's a kid who actually likes school and is typically good at all the, all the assignments and homework and all that stuff. And then the, the teacher goes, so kids, who was the person? Who's, and then you have the kid who does this. Oh, right? You, if you go walk into any class, You'll see this. I mean, by the, by the time you get to like high school, you know, the kids get cool. You know, they don't, they're like, ooh, teacher. They don't do that so much. But when they're young, you see this. They do this. Right? And you get the report card, and there's all this fit status feedback. Who has better chair? Who has the better seat? Right? And you guys know what this is like. When these days, I think sometimes they mail this thing home or they seal it in an envelope so that the kid doesn't get to see and then, you know, they take it home and then, you know, the, then the mom and dad gets to see. But when I was a kid, and I don't know if this is the way it is still in some district, it probably isn't, probably hit and miss. But when I was a kid, the teacher just gave it, gave you the report card and you're supposed to take it home and get it signed by mom and dad and bring a portion back. And so you get the report card. As soon as the bell rings, what do you do? Hey, what'd you get? <laughs> what'd you get? And you start comparing notes. What are you doing? You are comparing which seats. You're comparing status points. Right? And you're trying to figure out, am I one of the somebodies? Or am I one of the extras? That's what you're doing. And then it gets very interesting. There's a kid who doesn't like math or doesn't like following all these directions from the teacher or just doesn't like school. And then out at recess... This kid is the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. And then where does, so then he, he makes this, uh, you know, he, he puts together, and when I was a kid, it was, it was two-hand touch. They wouldn't let us play tackle, right? And we pick teams, and you know what? You don't want to be the last one picked. What is that? That's saying who all the different positions are. You pick teams, and who is the master of the wedding feast there? It's the kid who's the captain of the team who is the best. And so there, they just change the wedding feast from one place to another, but the status thing is always there. It's always there. Right? Starting to feel this? 
You know, let me go to part two of my message. Right? Freedom. What is freedom? What is freedom? You know, we're three. We're in third message into this series, and let me tell you a little bit about why I felt the need to go into this series called Freedom. Because what is freedom? Most people think freedom means that there's a constraint upon me. If I take the constraints off, you know, someone says, you have to do this. If I, you know, if all the you have to's get off, then I get to do it. Then that means I'm free, right? Well, that is a kind of freedom, but I don't think that's the deeper kind of freedom. It's the kind of freedom that we all long for. That the real freedom is something else. It's not even just a, a lack of restraints, but there's a, it's a quality of something inside of you. The way I put it is freedom is a quality in your heart, in your inner soul and being. And it shapes your inner motivations. And it's expressed. Here's the part that, that I think is very lacking. It's expressed in an external balance in your life. There's a certain wise and good balance in your life. And people know it's good. They can tell. Right? And there's a quality to this balance. And that's when inside you are truly free. But here's the way it really works for most people. For most of the time, there's... There's a, there's a twofold way that we fall into this problem. One is, you chase after the verdict. You want that certain space. You want a certain status point. And of course, you know, in our life, some, some of you, there's after school, there's a, your, your, your major, what college you go to. And after what college you go to, there's your job. And you're like, oh, there's no more report card. There isn't? <laughs> of course there is. Every time you come up for a review or promotion... And then you're trying to figure out who gets the promotion. And am, am I going to make this level? Am I, you know what you're doing? That's, that's this. That's what you're, you're, you're doing the status thing. And then, you're, and then every time there's bonuses given out at work, that's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. And in every realm, we have to have these things. In, in movies, every single year, there is a, there's a TV program. It's a big party in Hollywood. What do they call it? They call it the Academy Awards. And what are they telling you? They're telling you who are the somebodies and who are the nobodies. That's what they're telling you. Who are the somebodies? Who are the almost somebodies? And then who are the nobodies? So it's, just, it's impossible to not get away from this thing, this issue. And yet, where's what we do? If you care about, in this, in this particular wedding feast, if you care about getting the seat of honor, if you get the status point, the somebody's seat. If you care about that thing, you have to obey the rules, the laws in which your, the worth will be placed upon you that you are good. You must do that. Whatever the master of that realm is, you have to obey that. That's one way. And you know what I'll call that? That is the, that is the justification seeking the verdict by your works. There's a law. You must obey that law. You must find worth and and merit worth in that law, this is the works righteousness side. Right? But then there's another camp. You know, you go to, it's just like the kid, they're in school. They think that the kid who's like the goody two-shoes, the teacher's pet, or the one who gets all the A's, is a loser, I hate them. So then they're saying, oh, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm not under that enslavement. We know that if you do this thing, you are under an enslavement. You are under a master. And that master can be quite a taskmaster, Right? And if you fall short, if you become the nobody, you feel crushed if this matters to you. There are people, when they get laid off, it's not they didn't just lose their job, they become depressed. 
There are people when they don't get a certain uh, promotion or a certain uh, certain bonus, they get very angry and bitter. We had actually a very powerful and horrible example of that recently. Right here in Santa Clara County, there was there was a man who worked at the quarry out there at Los Altos Cupertino area, and there was some dispute at work, and he did not feel that he got his fair share, and it turned him murderous. He he pulled out a gun and just started blowing people away, and until he finally was killed on the streets himself in a huge manner. This just happened a couple weeks ago. What is this? It isn't just about money. It's about position. It's about where do you rank in this thing. And when this thing, when you fall below, he felt like he earned it. He got his works righteousness, but he wasn't given his right due. It made him angry. But this is one side of the slavery. But then there's the kid who's at school. He's like, oh, the teacher's pet or whatever. And he casts us off. And is that, in one sense, is that person no longer under that enslavement? You would say, that person's free, right? Is he? If he's, it's interesting. We, we want to cast off these things and says, oh, I'm just my own master. One, let me tell you a couple things. One is, if you will seek to be your own master in one realm, you will be a slave in another realm. All you're just saying is, I'm just going to choose a different taskmaster. I get to choose my taskmaster. But here's another thing. There are people who, who cast it off and then they, they don't actually do... The people who are supposed to work well and then get promoted, the people who well, I'm not going to... You know, whatever, I'm not going to care about that. Do they usually work as hard as the people who care about it? No. The kid who disdains the A kid or the, or the, or the teacher's pet, is that kid doing well in school? Usually that's the kid who's doing very badly in school and often is the behavioral problem or getting kicked out or is the drug, you know, the teenager's the druggy kid or whatever, the promiscuous kid, right? So what happens? You have the person. This is what happens in our realms. There is a, a realm in which we know we're supposed to at least make it to a certain level and the people who, well, they get the seats of honor. If you cast that off, are you free? Are you free? If you do, you don't do well, you're like, oh, no. But if you're, if you're, if you're lazy, or if you're not doing the job, or if you're a bad student, or if whatever this realm is, you're below par, are you really free? You're just saying, I take this off and I disdain this part, but you're not really free. It still, in a very real way, owns you. What would freedom really look like? What would freedom really look like? Freedom would look something like this. You go to work. You want to get this particular promotion and you want to get the corner desk. You work hard for the job because you want to do your job well and contribute to your company in a really genuine and real way. And then you get passed over for the promotion. And you know what? You're like, well, even if it was wrong, it's okay. I can forgive. I can now still work hard. In fact, I work, I want to do even better. And if when my boss gives me criticism, I can actually hear it and I can grow and I can learn. Or how about, let's say you do get the promotion. You won't be prideful. And it doesn't make you work less, it actually makes you work more because you want to do even more. The balance is the kid who's a C student but is not, does not hate the A student and works hard as best he can, and is happy to actually learn, even though the best he can do is C+. 
that kid, there's real freedom in that child. That's what it looks like. But it has to be something in you. Because we fall down to this one, the works righteousness side, and here's what the other rule, theologians actually have a known for it. You cast off the law, they call it, you cast off the word in Greek is nomos, it's the anti-nomos view. I'm not the works righteousness legalist, but I'm an antinomian guy. I'm an anti-nomos, but you can't. There's no such thing as being against standards. There's always standards. And so if you're against standards, you're just going to be selfish. And quite frankly, and in some realms, you'll just be a loser. When people tell you you're below par and you're a loser, it's true. <laughs> but if you, just because you disdain them doesn't make you less of so. It just means that you can't take it inside of you, which means you're still enslaved. And that's the way it is. This is the real problem. And, when, and here is the, our real problem in life is that we, can't, we don't have this. We're either falling to this or we fall into this. And it's really interesting. As a pastor, I've seen this problem again and again and again. You tell people not to go down the works righteousness path. And then you know what they do? They cast off the standards and they become like, oh, I'm okay. And then they think freedom means not doing anything. People, church won't save you. So going to church all the time isn't what's going to save you. So then what do people do? They just kind of treat church like it's nothing. I can kind of come and go. But is that really balance? And then they're not, much, they're not really much of a Christian. But they themselves even know that. Is that really balance? And yet it's interesting. So interesting. There's a pastor um, who is now a professor at Western Seminary where Joe and, and, and our youth pastor Frank go to. And his name is Jeff Louis, a Chinese-American guy. He's an older guy. He's in his 50s. But he's on what we would call second generation. He pastored on the English-speaking side. The Chinese church has the same problems as the Korean church or the Mexican church. They have... They have the immigrant-speaking side and the culture, and then they have the English-speaking side. But he was on the English-speaking side. And if you ask him about this question, do people have genuine free justification within their heart? And it gives them freedom to be balanced, joyful human beings, so they say, not Asians. The Asian Christians were the worst. That's what he says. Because you know what we want? The Asian person wants to be told, tell me, do you A, A B, C, D, and F? And then you get an A. So that's why Asians are so good at school. You tell them exactly do A, B, C, D, and F, and they'll hard charge and they'll do that. He goes, but what, according to Jeff Louie, they do that in church too. So they come into church, and you tell them, it's not by works righteousness. It is not by all your legalisms that you will be saved. He goes, okay, but I want to be a good Christian. <laughs> so tell me how to be a good Christian. You do your quiet time, you come to church, you pray, and you do all these things. So what do they do? They want to get an A. The Asian Christian wants to get an A. But you know what we have in the Asian churches? The ones who want to get the A, so they're over here on this enslaved side. And then, then the ones who say, oh, I don't want it. So then they're on the lazy side. Are they treat church like it's like, oh, I don't care. But are they enslaved too? All the people who don't do anything for church, they don't do anything for the Lord, they don't love their brothers and sisters, they never read their Bible, they never give to the poor. It's, there's none of the qualities of the, that the Bible describes as a free person in Jesus, it's, it's like, it's not in them, but they say, hey, I'm saved by Jesus, because, but for them, it's a cheap grace. But they're not really free, they're enslaved. And this is what's going on. I see this in the churches. And as a pastor, I, I find that if you teach this side, if you teach of a person, you're, if you're out in your mind, the person who's selfish and lazy and living in, uh, in antinomos, if you tell them that they need to change in other kinds of ways, you know what certain people will think? Like, oh, that's legalism. 
You're just preaching legalism. But if you tell people how they ought to live, they will, you have a whole set of people that will try to do this thing, and then they will fall into legalism because that is the default of the human mind. Right? You want the status of being a good enough Christian at least. But this third thing, this third way, this balanced freedom, this is elusive. There's something missing here. And it really shows up powerfully under this question of status, especially the Asians. The Asian (laughs) status thing is huge, right? I know everybody here is an Asian, and you don't have to be an Asian to feel it, but it's especially intense in Asian circles. Now, number three, how do you get there? Oh, this is the good part, right? Look, this is a Christian church. And if you've been coming to this church for a while, you know I'm going to say it's Jesus. But you need to hear every different facet of the gospel, the good news that tells you what Jesus has done for us, which we can never do for ourselves. What Jesus has done for us, which opens up the gateway, which takes the enslavement off us, whether it's the enslavement of selfish autonomos, antinomos, or if it's the enslavement of works righteousness legalism in whatever realm you're about, and that you take this enslavement of status off of you only by Jesus, but how? You know, it's all here in the Bible, actually. The Bible tells you the key things. In Philippians chapter 2, it says something very important about Jesus. It says this, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not make equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing being in the form of a servant. That's what it says. That's a picture of what Jesus did for us. And think about this. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. If you understand that properly, the Son of God is not a lesser God than the Father. The Son of God is absolutely full, equal God. There are some Sundays here when we confess what we believe, as we did there, we will confess out of the Nicene Creed. It says that Jesus is true God from true God, Light of light. I mean, it says he is holy God. So that means Jesus is God. And yet, it says he did not count the status of God, the position of God, the worthiness or the praise of God, something to be grasped to receive his own worth. He says it was okay. In fact, he let himself be nothing. He let himself serve instead of grasping after a position and grasping after his worth. And if you think about this, what greater lack of status could there be, a loss of status could there be, than to be the God of the universe, the creator and master of all things, upon which time and all, every detail, every microbe, every hair that's ever been on this planet, he knows it. It's in the palm of his hand. He thought it. And yet, to go from that to being born in a manger to poo and to pee and to have bad breath like one of us and to constantly walk around with all these petty, status-seeking, enslaved people and then to one day die the most horrific, humiliating death so that he could do what? He could show us, he could give to us and release us from status enslavement. Listen to what he says here. Luke chapter 14, listen. He tells you, when you are invited, 
go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who is that a description of? Is that a description of you and me? I don't think so. It's interesting. Jesus tells us how to live, but he is the one who did it. It is he who sat at the lowest table. He is at the highest place, but he sat at the lowest table. But you know why he sat there? So that he can make us and take us from a place of being extras and nobodies and insignificance and says, hey, you, why are you sitting there? Why don't you come up and sit next to me? In fact, I'll give you my seat. I'll give you my seat. And he will come. And it's only when you can see that Jesus emptied himself of his status so that he could promote us from nothings to a somebody with an capital S to be sons and daughters of the eternal God, of the Father, and to be at this wedding table feast. And that's the way the Bible describes <laughs> the Bible describes heaven to be an ultimate wedding reception feast. And that you will sit at a place of worth because Jesus does this for you. Only when you could set your eyes upon that, you could fix your heart upon that, and then understand that it's Jesus who promotes you and places that into your thing. Only when you can have that, then all the other status things that you're chasing after in your life can begin to quiet down. And you'll no longer be under the works righteousness legalism enslavement, nor the antinomos enslavement. It's the selfish, loser antinomos enslavement. Instead, you could take the master who frees the mastered, us. Now let me tell you a story. I'll close this, ser- this sermon. Of all the sermons that I'm going to give in this freedom series, I think this one is the one that strikes me the most personally. I think this issue of the status thing, it, I used to think, when I was a younger man, and, and you know, I'm learning not to have certain status. I'm giving up status symbols in my life that I thought I was becoming so good. But more and more, I realized this is the deep, deep, most terrible depravity in me. And it is deep. And it is intractable. And there's nothing that I can free myself from. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an Asian American. I'm a Korean American. And Koreans are the status thing. And I learned all these things quite well. And as many of you know, you know, education is the realm of the status. And when I was a boy, I wasn't the kid who would stare, oh, you know, teacher, teacher, call on me. I wasn't that kid, but I was the kid who got the A's. And that is the thing that I wanted to build my life upon. That is the way I'll get the nice seat. For, you know, everybody has certain gifts. There is the athletic gift. There is the organized gift. There is the friendship gift. Okay. But, you know, what, what the Lord gave me is I have to be really good at the books. The teachers could teach something and I could do it. Right? And, and I could read something and I could understand it and then I could spit it back out of tests. And actually, in the real world, once you get out of school, that skill isn't always very helpful. It isn't always the most important skill. But at the wedding feast of school, that is the play, that's the way you get the better tables and I was good at that. Right? And... You know, if you had asked me as a kid, 
you think there's anything wrong with the way you approach school? I would have been like, what do you mean? I'm just a really great student, and this is why I'm, I'm somebody. Of course, I would never say it quite that crassly, because I was humble. Or I tried to act like I was humble. But deep in my heart, this is the motivating enslaved imbalance. You know, um, when I was in eighth grade, I went to a, a private school. And they didn't just give you A, B, C, D. They did give you A. I mean, they didn't use the, the E, S, and U. They actually used A, B, C, D, and F. Right? But they actually gave you a number. Because they give you so many tests throughout the, the year that you actually get graded on percentages. 100%, 98%. 93% was, was the A- minus cutoff at that school. 92% was B+. Right? In my mind, I wasn't going to be anywhere near 92%. Because I wanted to be a somebody. I didn't want to just be one of the, the smart kids. I wanted to be the smartest kid. And so I had this little holy grail to know that I would reach that seat. In eighth grade, I, I hit it. Right? And in eighth grade, third quarter, I still remember this. My goal was in all my classes, I would have a 100% or better because some teachers gave extra credit. So what that meant was that you would go through a whole quarter and not miss one question on any quiz, any test, right? And in eighth grade, you know, at that school, you actually, there was a, there was a grade day, and you had a, a report card, and your teacher would fill out your grade, and then you go to the next class, your teacher would fill out the grade for everybody in class, and you go to the next grade. And, and in eighth grade, we got that report card, and I did it. I had 100 in every class, except a few classes, I had like a 102, because I hit all the extra credits, too. And of course, because I'm, I'm, I don't want anyone, to, of course, I want everybody to see it, but I'm not, I'm not going to go, hey, hey, check out my report card, because then they would think I'm a loser, right? So I'm holding the score, and what do you do? Right after class is over, all the kids come, they go, hey, what'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get, right? And I'm holding, I'm like, oh, I did all right, I did all right. And one of my, one of my friends yanked it off me, and of course, I'm not holding it very hard. <laughs> you know, they yank it away from me, and one of my friends looked at this thing, and he was like, oh, man, he was like, Oh, dude, this is crazy. You're, you're awesome. And right at that moment, you know what that is? I'm getting my seat. And this is the thing that drove me. Asian American education status enslaved. Eighth grade, totally pathetic. I think I'm good. You know, this is, I, didn't, I didn't get over this anytime soon. When I was in high school, you know, the competition ramped up. So I, I have to go, okay, I have to lower my expectations here. I can't be 100%. So, you know, this is interesting. <laughs> it, I set it back. Okay, now i got to get a 90% in every class because now at this school it's 90%. And A minus, all right, I, let's just get real. I can't get an A in everything. I'm not going to get an A plus in everything. I'm going to get an A. But then you know what? You get into college. And college is not just a college. I know to some people... College is just a college. It's a place where you go get trained to get a job. But in the Asian American world, college is a rank. It is a, it is a rank. And for me, I knew what school I wanted to get to. I wanted to get into Stanford. And then as now, it was it's a ridiculously difficult school to get into. Right? And you know what? I got into Berkeley, and you know what? I didn't care because it wasn't enough. If I did not get into Stanford... I'll be very honest with you. I would not have said this out loud when I was 17 years old. But I'll tell you, I know that it's the truth of it. I would have been crushed. And if 
the older me could go back to the 17 year old me, I would tell me, you're such a loser. <laughs> and now, you know, I'm in this Asian American world, and every now and then, you know, it just says, what school you went to, it just comes up, and it's, it's always an uncomfortable thing for me. Because now when people find out that you went off to Stanford, they think, you're so great. And I'm just thinking, but I was such a loser. <laughs> yes, in and of itself, getting good grades and going off to an academically rigorous, prestigious school, is that a good thing? Yes. But if it is the thing that makes you you, oh, wow, you deserve hell, quite frankly. That is the thing in you that makes you so black. Outwardly, oh, you got the space, but inwardly, you're so pathetic and dark and lost. And, I didn't, and it's interesting, you know, you go off to Stanford, and then the, and then the game just changes again. <laughs> and, then, and then it's graduate school, and the game changes again. And then you go off to your job, and then all of you who are in the workplace, you know that that is going on. And it's crazy. I, I've served, somewhere in the middle of college, I realized, I'm sick. There's something wrong with me. And I started to realize that this plays out in other places, too. When I go out and play flag football with the guys, i got to catch at least one pass. <laughs> I, so then I don't want to be one of those... Those loser guys that nobody thinks can't play. Right? And I'm not going to dress the, like the best, but I got to dress okay. And I'm not going to drive the ugliest car, but I got to drive at least enough of a car. You see? I can't be the insignificant. It's this. It's something. The status thing. It infects and poisons so many things. And the only way that you can have freedom, you're not going to be on this side or that side, is Jesus. He who did not count equality with God status of God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing so that he could be free. And the only way you'll know you're free is if it's okay for you to not have this point, and then the thing that it's about, you can take it, and you can actually go to it, for its, and you could serve. That Jesus became a servant. That you could serve its goodness and just be glad to be, to be its servant. It took me many, many years to finally get to this point. Some of you guys know that I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm, I'm a bookworm nerd, and I even make fun of myself for this. But let me tell you how when I have some of my happiest times now, I'll have a book, a book <laughs> that only a nerd would read, right? And I'm sitting at like Panera Cafe, and I am learning, and I am working, and there'll be no grade upon me. Not by other people. Or if there is, and if they say it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. I'm actually trying to learn something that's real and true and good and beautiful, and then take that thing and then serve other people with it. I just serve the truth and serve other people. And at that moment, and at those few moments, and I actually taste a little freedom. That's it. So all that other stuff, all that BS washes away. And only because Jesus is my Lord. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm still a filthy, terrible person. That if, if it weren't for the blood of Jesus and his status freedom, I'd have no hope. Right? But I've tasted this, and when I've tasted this, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And you too can have it too. And I hope you do. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, freedom and balance, 
so imbalanced. We have the bitterness, we have the resentment, we have the lack of forgiveness, we have the, the cold, the cold uh, just apathy about things. Things that we're supposed to care about, we don't care about. Or we're the works righteousness charging very hard to attain our worth and to attain our place. And we're all these sad people running around when you have made a place for us. And you have put your worth upon us. And you would give your freedom into our hearts if we would look to you and let your spirit do this to us. Lord God, please do this to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, whether they succeed in their work, that they would do it and they would work to the best and the purity of what their company is all about. And they would serve humbly with blessed self-forgetfulness. Or if they're out of work, I know some of my brothers and sisters are, or if, if they're not married, or if something's not working out, that the status of position that they always long for, Lord God, and yet they would find the secret of being okay in you. Though you made yourself nothing, you were more than okay. You were free. Give us your freedom, Jesus. We thank you for this greatness. Thank you for this grace. Bless our church and make us a place shining with this freedom that the Silicon Valley, Asian American circles in particular, this whole city doesn't know. In Jesus' name, amen.